Good morning, everyone. Pastor Greg here. Welcome to Christmas at Union Chapel. This is the Advent season, and we're so thrilled that you've joined us today on this uh, first Sunday of December, December the 6th. Welcome to you. We're glad you're here. And of course, Advent is this season in the Christian calendar when we anticipate the coming of Jesus to the world, Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And it's a great celebration. So thank you for joining us, and I trust that you're encouraged today. I know some of you have been, have been ill uh, with various diseases, including COVID. I know some of you are recovering, and I, I know it's been a hard time for, for many, and please know that we're with you, we're praying for you, and know that God is with you as well. And so you take care, and we're, we're praying, and we're with you. Let me just uh, give you some uh, update. If you can recall a year ago, at this time, we were talking about the 2019 Christmas offering, and we, we rehearsed with you a missing link in the chain of care for those in addiction recovery in our community, and that we were going to do something to try to respond to that missing link in the chain. That missing link is, is a recovery residential home for men, men who need to detox, who need to need counseling, need all the services available to, to provide a support system for their recovery. And this residential piece was a missing link in the chain of care. And I'm very happy to report to you that we have just this past week signed a memo of understanding, an MOU with Urban Light Community Church right here in Muncie. Dr. Andrew Draper is the senior pastor there, and they already have a women's home residence for recovery, the Lighthouse Recovery Home for Women, and we have agreed to partner with them to find, purchase, renovate a home so that it will be a place for recovery for men. I'm very excited about that. Uh, and so this year's Christmas offering is going to include that very important piece. Now, we're going to continue to support the Blood and Fire Christmas store. Hundreds of families get Christmas who otherwise wouldn't. I know you feel good about that. Uh, Light Their Path Children's Bibles that go out to people in the community in various places in the world. We are supporting that as well. And, of course, for a couple of years now, we've supported the Winchester House, which is a home for women in recovery and beautiful fruit being bore as a result of that. So those three issues are going to be in place as well. And then this big piece, which is the recovery home for men here in Muncie, and we're going to see that it happens. We're very excited about it. I know you are too. So you be praying about a gift that you can give this Christmas. Uh, we'll be receiving the Christmas offering through the month of December, but you be praying about that. Beth and I are as well. We want to be extravagant in our giving this year at the Christmas offering to accommodate these wonderful opportunities to change people's lives. Well, today I want to talk about the spirit of Christmas, and I hope that it will be an encouragement to you. These are days that are burdensome and hard and confusing and, and oftentimes sad, and I want to remind us as we begin this beautiful Advent season of the spirit of Christmas. I've chosen as our text today from John's Gospel, John chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading at verse 16 and through 21, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, 
And here are these important words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. May God teach us, instruct us, inspire us through his word today. Thank you so much. Well, think about this. A frightened, confused couple stare into the face of their newborn baby. It's a boy. Events, circumstances that have surrounded his conception, followed by these nine months of waiting, now the birth. These days, weeks, months have been a recipe of both the natural and the supernatural, which have nearly overpowered them. Imagine this young couple, if it's even possible. There were times, I'm sure, that it was virtually impossible for them to separate what was real for what seemed to be unreal. Mary and Joseph, this young couple, and this new baby, there were dreams There were visions, there was a visitation, their imaginations must have been uh, running wild. Questions like, what is this about? Why us? Why now? What is happening to us? And now alone, without the benefit of midwifery in an alien town, at the mouth of a rustic cave, she has given birth. The two of them now stare into the face of of a son. There's nothing as far as they can see which is supernatural about this baby. He seems normal in every way. The birth has been natural, has been normal. Uh, His cries for nurture and cleaning and feeding are all common. Uh, It just doesn't seem very supernatural. Off in the distance now, they hear the tinkling of bells. they're, They're not sure from what direction it is coming, but soon they see just over a small hill this small caravan. They, they realize that these are bridal bells that are tinkling underneath the camels. And as they walk and sway, the bells are tinkling in cadence. And the caravan seems to be going in the wrong direction. It's not headed toward Egypt. It's not the obvious caravan route, you know, north to south. And then they realize, as small as it is, it's just a handful of camels, that it's actually heading straight toward them. Then the lighting from those candles reveal that the men are foreigners. They have no idea where they're from, Syrians maybe, and they have the exotic customary of their culture uh, in their dress and adornment. They climb down from their camels, their servants now following them with bundles, and the men come and kneel before this little baby in his cruel little manger, and they lay at his tiny feet exotic and expensive gifts. It's a wonderment. It's amazing. Well, fast forward 2,000 years, and now a child awakens. 
He awakens and he runs. It's only five in the morning. (laughs) He runs into his mother's bedroom and he grabs his mother by her face. And he says, mommy, wake up. It's Christmas. Wake up. It's Christmas day. She's a single mom. He's a five-year-old. They take hands and make their way into the living room, and he finds what would be a paltry set of gifts compared to the children who are living on the north side of town, but a new bicycle with training wheels, three oranges, and a book, and he is beside himself. He hurls himself into his mother's arms, kissing her face, and she kissing him, and both of them saying to each other, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That's something of a leap, isn't it, to go from that first Christmas morning, that story, to the story I just described of this young boy. But there is a bridge that we can use to connect these two events. Uh, it's, it is, in my opinion, the very nature and character who, of who God is. Think about that. The connection point, the bridge between the first Christmas and every Christmas celebrated since is the character and nature of God. I read today the first verse in our text, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, it may be the most popular verse of scripture in all the world, And of course, it points the way to Jesus. It reminds us of how to become a Christian. It reminds us of the plan of salvation. This is is, uh, the the statement of how how one finds eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, and whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we see the way to salvation explained in this verse. But it is, listen, it is nevertheless more a statement of who God is. It's, it's, it's a statement of our salvation and the way to it, the means to, to, to receive it, but it is a greater statement about who God is in his character and nature. Well, what is the spirit of Christmas? Three ideas. The first one was this. It's a spirit of giving. It's a spirit of giving. Now think about this. God, in his infinite creativity, his unsearchable wisdom, his, the, the, the veritable oceanic depth and width of his mind and capacity and creativity and imagination. And we ask the question, could he have not found some other way to redeem us than by giving? And the answer is, of course, he could have. He could have. By giving, he demonstrated to us his great love and he he, he could have thought of another way. He could have come up with another plan, put another structure in place for all of that, but he chose to give. And I think he chose because that, that method reveals the true nature and character of who God is. God is a giving God. Now, an amen goes right there in the sermon. God is a giving God. And we embrace that. He expressed who he is, not just our way to heaven, but who he is in character when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I want to put this statement on the screen for you. At the very heart of a liberated, joyful, dancing, spirit-filled Christianity is the nature and character of giving. There it is. Nothing characterizes the nature of Christ more than an attitude and a spirit 
and a practice of giving. Now, I confess, sometimes Christmas giving can go over, over the top. It's too much. Uh, and in a normal Christian season, we would all be flying around, all stressed out because of all the pressure points related to Christmas and the planning and the preparations and the, and the buying. And I understand how that might appeal to our latent carnality or our materialism or our greed or all that. But let me just say this about Christmas. At, at, at the center of it, it's a great idea. It's a great idea. The Christmas celebration is a, is, is a great idea because it, it, it rests at the very heart and the center of Christianity. Because it reminds us that a giving, loving God gave himself by coming to the earth and giving himself as a gift to us, a gift that lasts forever. So at the center of this whole impulse to give, to celebrate the, the generosity of it, at the center of it, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. So, the, so, so, so we, we see the spirit of Christmas in the spirit of giving. Let me teach you something right here. Let me teach you something. Listen to me carefully. The joy in giving, and there's great joy in giving, if you can find it. The joy in giving is actually produced by letting go of something. Let me, may I teach you? The joy in giving is produced by letting go of something. It's in the seeing the other person's eyes light up. The one who receives. It's more blessed to give, the Bible teaches, than to receive. So here's what I know. When we have a giving spirit, God blesses us. God is faithful. He, he will never miss what you give in his name. You, you, you will never wonder about what you have given in his name. The Bible says that giving to the poor is like lending to God, and he will repay with interest. And so he has never defaulted on a loan like that. So you be encouraged that a generous, liberal, giving spirit is the spirit of Christ and one that God's blessed. So a, 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 a giving spirit is the spirit of Christmas. Here's the second thing I want to mention, and that is giving in relationships. How does this carry over? How does the spirit of Christmas touch our relationships? Well, here's an observation. People tend to withhold from others the things they know the person wants or needs. Let me say that again. People tend to withhold from other people the things that we know those other people need and want. We tend to withhold it. Now, we don't always do it deliberately or intentionally. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons. For example, superiority may be an example of this, a reason why people withhold. One person may say, well, I'm better than the other person or smarter or wiser, so I choose not to condescend to their level and, you know, to, 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 to speak to them or encourage them. So superiority is a reason. Uh, sometimes people get wounded and... So the rationale is my spouse hurt me, so I'm getting even. Or my parents didn't respond to me like I wanted, so I'm retaliating. Uh, it's, it's because hurt people hurt people. And wounded people wound other people. Another reason that we withhold in relationships in a generous way is because we become emotionally impoverished. 
I don't feel as though I have anything to give. I don't have any reservoir of emotion. I don't have any extra left over, and so I withhold. I'm hesitant to give someone else out of what feels like a depleted pool of energy for me. Or insecurity is another reason people withhold. I don't like me, so why should I compliment you? And all kinds of reasons why people withhold. But could I just encourage you in the spirit of Christmas to, to be generous in marriage? Be generous. Don't withhold. Serve one another. Compliment one another. You know, eat that lima bean casserole like you love it. You know, eat it with a smile. <laughs> When he, when he wants to go out with the guys, you know, with some, some kind of sport night or bowling night or something, you know, encourage that. Bless, bless the old guy and, and appreciate that he's having a good time with his friends. With your children, give the compliment. Give the appreciation. Give the praise. Ask the Holy Spirit to make you a giving person. That you'll give for the joy of the gift rather than the potential to receive something in return. I'll compliment you if you compliment me. No, 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 no. Be a fountain of praise. Affirm people. Give. God will take care of you. I know some of you are stressed financially right now, and others of us are doing just okay. And some of us have actually done well through the midst of this pandemic and, and all the pressure points that that's creating on culture and society and the economy and all those things. So everybody's on this continuum, but let me just encourage you, no matter where you find yourself today, God will take care of you. God will take care of you. He's promised to take care of his own, and he will take care of you. So take each moment of opportunity to give, to be generous, to, to be liberal in the way that you open your hands and open your heart to people around you. I just made this announcement that we're going we're gonna to buy and build and staff a recovery home a residential recovery home for men in Delaware County. We're going to do that. And that's made possible by generous people like you, making it possible. So open your hands and open your heart, and God, God will reveal himself and develop in you the same tendencies that are in the character of God himself, a generous person. Could I just remind you then, give to your spouses. Give love, give affection, give appreciation, give praise. Give the st stuff to them that they need. Uh, to your children, the affirmation, the love, the words, I love you, you're beautiful, you're handsome, you're special, you've got what it takes. Say the words and give in your relationships. I had a visit to my office a few years ago from a former parishioner who had moved out of town and was fellowshipping in another local church, and that church had a turnover of senior pastor. And the long-tenured senior pastor who had done a nice job in that church for years was replaced by a younger person, a much younger person, and the, young, the, the new young pastor was struggling. And so my friend was in my office asking for counsel. What, what should I do to help this situation? It's not going well. The new guy's not meeting expectations. And I think God gave me wisdom. And I said to him, let's assume something. Let's assume that two years from now, 24 months from now, you're going to have to let this new guy go. Because as it turns out, he's not going to be able to fill the, the old guy's shoes. And he's just not measuring up. And he's not meeting expectations. And you're going to have to let him go. Let's assume that's what happens. In the meantime, 
What does this young guy need? What does he need? And the question is based on this whole point of giving in relationships. And so I help my friend sort out how he can best relate to this young pastor of his and make it as good for this pastor as he can. And we concluded that he needs a friend, an authentic, trusting, reliable friend. He may not have a lot of friends, but he'll have at least one good friend. It'll be, it'll be this guy. And so he determined he's going to be his friend. The second thing he needs is affirmation and encouragement. Listen, everybody needs encouragement. Everybody needs to be affirmed. And you say, well, he's not doing a good job. In fact, in fact he's, not, he's doing a terrible job in just about all the categories. Wait a minute. Everybody does something well, so find out what they do well and affirm them. Compliment them. You know, say they're 90% off, but 10% on. Well, find the 10% that they're on and tell them they're doing great with that. And that will encourage them and affirm them. And the last thing we decided is that this person really needs help. So develop structures that will help this new pastor, this young pastor grow. Who knows if you put, if you put the right books, the right continuing education in front of him, the right opportunities to grow, uh, connect him with other pastors who, who, who could coach and mentor this young guy, make, put the structures in place. Who knows, maybe he'll climb the mountain and a couple of years from now, he'll, he'll be meeting expectations. So all of that to say that people need to be affirmed and encouraged. And you're like that, I'm like that, everybody's like that. There are people in the church here at Union Chapel who are, who are complimentary of me. They'll say things like, that was another good one in reference to a, to a sermon. Or occasionally someone will say, that's the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. And when I hear that, you know, I always, always have this, this twinge. Now listen, I... I know that my sermons are not Christian masterpieces. I, I mean, I get it. But for the life of me, I've never been able to correct anyone who's told me that's the best sermon they've ever heard, knowing full well it's not. But I've never corrected them. But what I appreciate is when people say, you know, that, that message really spoke to me. Thank you. That helped me. Thank you. Yeah, that means a lot. Now, there are many of you within the sound of my voice right now, your attitude about that category I'm just describing is, well, I don't like to compliment my pastor. He might get a big head. You know, I know God wants the man or woman of God to be humble. And so I don't want to say too much that will, you know, puff him up. and He'll get proud and then he'll lose his way. Listen, Bubba, listen to me. There are plenty of people in the world, trust me when I tell you this, plenty of people in the world who like to deflate the people around them, including the pastor. So don't worry that I'm going to get overinflated. Trust me, there's plenty of people, you know, you know, you blow up a balloon, and you know that sound when you let go of the balloon, the, you, you haven't tied it off, you just blew it up, and then you just kind of let the air out of it, and it goes like that? That's what most people sound like in the life of the church. So you're not going to overinflate anybody by saying something nice. Bless your pastor. Bless your small group leader. Tell your wife how beautiful she is. Tell your husband how you, how you appreciate all that he does for you and your family. And if you marry a, a preacher, always compliment them. My wife is, is so good at this, and she constantly affirms me. She'll, she will say, that, that was a good sermon. And occasionally, she will say, that was excellent. You know, that's kind of the highest standard when she uses words. And, and it's so helpful. It's so, the only time Beth pushes back 
is when I've told a story that references her and I have said something that she thinks was a misrepresentation of the truth. For example, one time I was telling folks in a sermon about the way that that she would freak people out at the swimming pool when our son Aaron, our oldest son Aaron, was just a toddler. I mean, he wasn't two years old. He's still in his diapers. And she would take him to the deep end of the pool, walk out on the one-meter diving board with this little baby. All he's wearing is a diaper. And she would just throw him in the, throw him in the deep end. And it would freak everybody out. As, are you feeling some anxiety about that right now? Listen, don't worry. When, when our son Aaron was seven, seven days old, the, when his umbilical cord dried up the day it fell off that day I came home to our apartment and I heard the baby coughing and sputtering and crying you know, it's a seven pound baby it's a new baby it's only a week old and what is Beth doing with the baby she has filled the bathtub up full of water she's in the bathtub with the baby and she's dunking him she's tra- she's teaching him how to hold his breath underwater because she has this training, this expertise, she can teach your little newborn how to swim. <laughs> so Aaron could swim before he could crawl. And he could, you know, you could throw him in the deep end, he'd just float right to the top and, you know, do a little backstroke over to the ladder. <laughs> and so he was good to go. And it would, it would really, I mean, you can see the lifeguard, you know, starting to panic and all the mothers starting to squeal and, and, and scream. And Beth did it just because she liked to tweak people, I think. But, but she corrected me when I came home after describing that the first time. And she said, quote, I didn't throw Aaron into the deep end of the pool from the diving board. I lowered him gently by the arms and dropped him carefully into the pool. So she wanted me to say it that, that way rather than imagining this mother pitching her baby into the deep end. Yeah. So life, listen. This is a life value, affirming and appreciating people. This is a life skill. This is a a life attitude. And it's not just a good idea. Listen, it's not just a good idea. It is in keeping with who God is. It's in keeping with him. Let me give you this last point very quickly. And this is the giving nature of God. I just want to reinforce it. Ephesians chapter 1. This is God addressing sinners and wretches, and people confused, disoriented, wounded, dysfunctional. He was talking to us. This is, this is a reference to us. Verse 3, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Do you see the word chose? Verse 5, in love he predestined us, chose us to be adopted as his sons and daughters. Do you see the word predestined? Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Thank God. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will, the plan of salvation for us. He revealed it to us. Amazing. Verses 11 to 14, you were chosen and included in Christ and marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So here's what we find in this. God has lifted you up to sit with him in heavenly places. God says, I want to spend eternity with you. That's all in Ephesians chapter 1. All of this affirmation. God is an affirming God. That's where the second amen goes in the sermon. Our God is an affirming God. And I want you to feel his affirmation. 
I want you to feel his love. I want to ask you, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it amazing? Isn't God a giving God? And aren't you thankful that our God is a giving God? He so loved the world. He so loved you that he gave his only son. You know, we have this language in the evangelical world. You know, those of us who believe the Bible true and we like to use biblical phrases and so forth. And we use the phrase, have you accepted Christ? You know, and it's in the, it's in the biblical text. As many as receive him, accept him. It's an okay question, but it's not really the point. Jesus is not standing on the front porch of your life, your heart saying, please let me in. It's cold and lonely out here. Please let me in. Maybe you've seen a picture of that depicted, Jesus on the front door knocking on your life. The great announcement of Christianity is not that you have accepted God. Let me put this statement on the screen. The great announcement of Christianity is not that you have accepted God. The great announcement of Christianity is that God has accepted you. Glory to God. Praise God for that. That's an amazing thing. He thinks, he thinks you're wonderful. The graciousness of God, the giving nature of God. See, God didn't do a deal for our souls. There's no negotiation going on here. I mean, what, what if, for example, you had one pint of the blood of Jesus? I mean, you just literally had his blood. Would that matter? Listen, God bankrupted heaven. He bankrupted heaven. He emptied heaven. He gave everything. God so loved the world that he gave without reservation, without hesitation. He gave extravagantly because our eternal well-being was worth it to him. It's a giving God, extravagant God, a loving God. He's extravagant in praise. He's extravagant in affirmation of others. He's extravagant in giving, and we should be as well. Hear that in, in that context. We should be extravagant in praise. We should be extravagant in affirmation of others. We should be extravagant in our giving. The, the lubricity of life is not found in doling out pennies and withholding love from other people. That's not what makes life work, that makes life flow. It's in the extravagant, joyful delight in belonging to God and serving humanity. That's what matters, and that's what gives us life. Let me conclude with this story. A young pastor was in his first church, 22 years old, found himself in a small country church in the hills of a southern state. There was one prominent member of his congregation. He was a very successful businessman. And there was an occasion when these two men had to journey to the city to buy some Sunday school materials. It was a bitterly cold day and freezing rain had just started to fall. And the wind and rain was cutting like a knife as they made their way down this concrete sidewalk of the southern city. And they passed a little doorway, and the young pastor noticed this doorway was littered with trash and beer bottles and other trashy debris. And huddled up in that doorway was an old man. He had no shoes, a tattered pair of trousers, and a T-shirt. He's huddled up in that doorway and freezing to death, shivering with cold. The businessman accompanied the young man, preacher, stopped. And he immediately took off his nice camel hair overcoat and said to the shivering man, Hey, mister, you're going to die if you sit here like this. 
stand up. And the old guy, you know, haltingly got to his feet, kind of staggered a bit. And this businessman put his very expensive overcoat over this man's shoulders and buttoned it up. And he gave him $10 and he said, hey, listen, you, you need to go get yourself some warm breakfast and get in out of this cold. And the old man kind of muttered, you know, thanks, mister, you know, and kind of stumbled away. Well, the young 22-year-old pastor in his youthful idealism and presumed wisdom saw a teachable moment. So he began to teach this older businessman the truth about life. He said, don't you know he's going to go to the first pawn shop he runs into and hawk that expensive overcoat, and he's going to turn that coat into cheap wine, and before the end of the day, he'll be, use that $10, $10 you gave him on booze. And the businessman stopped in the middle of the sidewalk in the freezing rain, now starting to chill himself, turned to the young preacher, and with the oddest nod, placed his hand on his shoulder. And he said, Pastor, none of that is the point, even if it is true. But let's assume it is true. The point is, right now, He's warm. That was my only responsibility. Right now, he's warm. They walked on in silence for a while until the young pastor said, I'm really sorry. And the man said, you don't have to apologize to me. But the moment will come when it will be your turn to take off your coat and give it to someone else. And so you remember this moment. A loving God, motivated by love, became extravagant in his giving when he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And friend, this is the season to embrace the same qualities of character and nature that God put on display himself and to become extravagant in our giving, extravagant in our praise, extravagant in our affirmation and appreciation of others, in our heart toward God and our relationship with one another, and indeed in an expression of our lives. May we have the spirit of Christmas, the spirit of giving. In Jesus' name. Now, would you pause and pray with me? Lord, for God so loved the world, you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God, make us men and women who have a spirit of giving in relationships, in praise and affirmation, in giving. Thank you, God, that it's your nature, nature to choose us, to include us, to predestine us, to become part of your family. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray in this wonderful season of Christmas that you would shape us into the character and nature of Christ. That's our prayer. Thank you for hearing it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen.